and welcome back to the Eyes Up Life podcast with your host, Ben Granis. So glad that you're here and that you chose to spend these minutes with me today, with me and George, with George and me, George Hamill to be exact. We'll get to George in a second. First, the Eyes Up Life podcast started with a bike ride that I did 7,000 miles by myself around the United States to raise awareness for distracted driving. Since starting the ride, I've become incredibly attached to this mission to end distracted driving, to help people live healthier, happier lives by putting the phone down both in the car and out of the car. Immediately after finishing my ride in September, I drove around the country interviewing athletes and affiliates sponsored by Maxxis Tires. 21 of them to be exact. And this week we have George Hamill on the show. George Hamill has an incredible story. Some of what he talks about is graphic and it was hard for me to listen to at points because of how horrifying some of the injuries that he experienced were. But he survived and he is able to live essentially a full life now. He has some permanent injuries and disabilities because of his injuries, but he is one of the most resilient and positive people that I've ever spoken to, and I I know his story will have a big impact on you. Now, George covers all sorts of power sports media coverage. He has his own podcast, The Dirt Life Podcast, and is just a fantastic soul. So I know you'll enjoy my conversation with George. Please do. Please relax. Please enjoy. And please also just be aware that it's not, at at least the first half, is not the most lighthearted of conversations because George goes through uh, some of the, the details of his injuries while competing as a power sports athlete stick around to the end and we'll talk to you then okay my name is george hamill uh everybody calls me georgie and uh man i've been in the off-road world and the uh i don't know physical activity world for most of my life and where are you from, George? Can I call you Georgie? Yeah, whatever you want. Georgie, where are you from? Uh, so I'm from a small town in Arizona called Vale, Arizona, just south of Tucson. It's really far down south in Arizona, but now we reside in Temecula, California, so Southern California. How long have you been out this way? Uh, well, on and off. I was out here for about 10 years of my life, uh, from 2000 to 2010-ish, and then now I'm back. So it's been about three years since I've been back. So back and forth between Arizona and California. Cool. Well, I'm really glad to have met you. And um, yeah, if you if you could just start by kind of walking me through your, well, I guess your younger life. Like, how did you get into racing and what did your career look like? Yeah, so, well, it's great to meet you as well, Ben. Um, my life kind of started, like, just basically in the dirt. Um, we didn't have paved roads where I grew up, so we had to just basically make our own fun, like build your own jumps for bicycles. If we wanted to ride our bicycles to school, it would take three or four hours in the morning just because it took so long in the dirt and it was so far away. So it was really remote, but it teaches you a lot. It teaches you how to be um, understanding of the surroundings around you. It teaches you resourcefulness and a bunch of different things that a lot of kids don't get because they get a lot of instant gratification. So I'm blessed to have that upbringing. And what, uh, what sport were you racing in? So when I was little, um, 
I was into bicycle riding a lot, so two wheels and handlebars, right? And, uh, you know, started out as a little kid riding little bicycles and stuff. And when I was 12 years old, one of our neighbors had come over and brought a dirt bike over. It was a little tiny mini bike because we were all small. And uh, it was called the CR60. It was a Honda. And uh, I asked him, I go, dude, can I ride that? He goes, no, but you can sit on it. And so I cheated a little bit. I sat on it and I rolled down this little 10 foot hill and I was hooked ever since then. So I kept bugging my dad. And a few years later, he ended up uh, bringing me home my own dirt bike. It was pretty cool. And so you had it, you, then you got a dirt bike, and then what happened from there? Yeah, so um, another life lesson is um, I started race, racing dirt bikes around age 12 and a half or so, and I turned professional when I was 19. And usually the progression starts when you're like, you started like three years old or five years old, and then you move your way up through the ranks. So I kind of had to fast track all that stuff. So along the way, I learned how to go fast quickly but I had to pay the price because I broke a lot of bones and got injured a lot along the way. It teaches you a lot of things. It teaches you patience, teaches you how to handle pain, it teaches you structure, it teaches you all kinds of different things because there's a bunch of stuff that goes on behind the scenes, like tons of bicycle riding, tons of bicycle riding because you're training. Uh, lots of physical working out, a lot of cardio, a lot of anaerobic stuff, uh, how to eat well, like all of these different things that teach you the fundamentals of life. And it was pretty interesting to me um, to do that for those seven years. And I was able to turn professional. We were able to make pretty good money at it. Uh, but then I, when I was 19, uh, I was racing my first professional national out here in California at a place called Glen Helen Raceway. Uh, and I f unfortunately fell off and I broke my back and got paralyzed. What happened? Like, what? Uh, well, I'll take you through the, the accident. So um, I was chasing some of the professionals around, some of the guys that I looked up to and was very fond of. And uh, I was coming down this hill, they call it Mount St. Helens, it's one of the biggest hills on the circuit. Was coming down the hill and I got kind of pulled off the back of the motorcycle because it was really bumpy. And uh, they call it whiskey throttle because you give it full gas when you're giving it, you know, like a twist throttle. And uh, I went over this jump that you kind of go slow over in second gear. I went over it fourth gear wide open, which uh, is very fast. And uh, instead of going over it and kind of moving over it slowly, I hit it as fast as I could go and I just launched off the back of the bike. It kind of like, like a bucking Bronco, it hit me in the butt and threw me off. So when I flew off the bike, I was in the air, kind of just like rolling up the windows and I ended up landing on my feet. And when I landed on my feet, I broke both of my legs, uh, my tailbone, my back, uh, my arm and a little piece of my skull. Uh, so it was, uh, the doctors told, uh, told my family and myself that it was about the equivalent of jumping out of a six to seven story building and landing on the sidewalk on the cement. With your feet? With your feet, because of the, the impact and the speed and stuff. And uh, it's one of those things that brings you back, right? It, it teaches you a lot of things. I had my last rites read to me because they didn't think I was gonna live through it. They thought I had internal bleeding and a lot of other stuff that was wrong. But it teaches you a lot, it teaches you a lot of I don't even know how to say it. It teaches you everything. It teaches you patience. It teaches you how to pivot and move ahead in your life. It teaches you uh, how to accept support mechanisms. It teaches you about uh, people around you that care about you, how much you love them, uh, how much you get rid of the other stuff that doesn't matter in your life, um, and tons and tons of details. Um, but for me, it taught me that I was going to have to change my life. 
So this was three years ago. Uh, no, this was in 1998. Oh, okay. What was in 2019? That's another accident. That I had. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. So the the this really serious one was. Uh... Yeah, the reason that I walk messed up now is because of that accident paralyzing me. So, a fun fact. Well, not so fun fact, is to date I've broken every single bone in my body, except for the humerus. Uh, my back three times, uh, numerous wrists and ankles and different things like that. I have a 16-inch rod uh, from the middle of my femur all the way up to the top of my hip where my pelvis is. Um, I've had my spleen taken out. Um, I've had two different back surgeries to get put back together. Uh, and like you mentioned before, we'll get to it, but in 2019, I crushed my skull. So what was what was what were the few years or however like what was your recovery like after the the accident in nineteen? Uh, it was pretty gnarly because, like, when you have your first major accident, not that I want anybody to have to understand this, but I've been through three major accidents, and after that first major one, I really didn't know what to do. It's like a new beginning, so to speak. And that new beginning meant that I had to change everything. I couldn't walk anymore, but I wanted to. Um, so I had discussions with my family and they said, uh, you know, computers are kind of the new thing, like let's get into computers. And I said, I don't want to do that, like I, I'm used to handlebars and wheels, like that's where I want to go. Um, but soon I figured out it was very difficult to do even normal tasks, like brush your teeth or take a shower. So I decided maybe I should take the computer stuff. Um, I got some grants from the government and social security and things like that. And uh, I went to school and got a computer science degree. So uh, it was pretty difficult though because uh, from the time in 1998 when I broke my back, it was about five years that I was in a wheelchair. So I had to do all that stuff uh, in a wheelchair and do rehab and try to pivot uh, my life during that time. It was very difficult, but I'm proud that I worked so hard at it because today I can walk, even with the limp, but I can walk. Yeah, I mean, so, so how long were you paralyzed for? Um, I'm still paralyzed to this day, but I use ankle braces to walk around. Um, and uh, it was about seven, five to seven years in that, in that time frame that I was able to start walking and doing physical activities and getting better again. Um, and the instant I could get back on a bicycle, I did, man. What kept you going and determined to get back to a point where you could ride? I think, it's, I think it's kind of those things like when, like when we were talking about growing up you really learn that those things mean a lot to you, right? Because you had to try so hard. I mean, like growing up and being a person that had to build bicycle tracks from scratch, I thought, you know, I could do anything. Like that's what I learned. And so when I started getting better and seeing uh, my body heal up and do better and training hard to, to just rehab, I thought that there was no limit. Like I maybe call it naive, but I didn't see any limit in my eyes. I didn't picture myself being paralyzed. I pictured myself as getting better. Yeah, the mental side of things is huge when, when getting through anything, right? The mental side is massive, massive. Like I always tell everybody, you have no idea until it happens how strong you can be. So, so you've made a ton of progress and it sounds like you 
got back into racing. And yeah, so during that time, I'll give a little bit of backstory too. So that computer science degree um, propelled me to do a lot of cool things. Um, it gave me the opportunity to move to Southern California to get a job in the computer world. Um, but I decided not to go like work for like IBM or Hewlett Packard or anything like that. Um, I decided I wanted to go work in action sports. Um, I really liked um, the stuff that I had done before, like motocross and stuff. So I ended up getting a job at a company called Spy Optic. They make sunglasses. And the reason that I got that job was because I wasn't the computer guy with the pocket protector. I was a computer guy that could talk the language with all of the people that were there, right? Which is a huge help in any business. Through that, I was able to make a bunch of connections. I started uh, working with companies like Atticus and Macbeth and actually became partners with Mark and Tom from Blink-182. So it was like this new culture and career that I was in, like with music and action sports and all this great stuff because I put myself in a good position uh, and was educated. Um, so I had the opportunity to work with so many artists over the years. Um, I still work with the Ramones, the Misfits, all of those guys, and it's really, really meaningful to me to have that longevity and all of those great partners. Um, one of the coolest things that I've done so far is I helped build GoPro from the ground up uh, when the owner, Nicholas Woodman, was in the, uh, sitting on the beach in his Volkswagen starting the company. I was helping him build websites and stuff because I could talk the language. So it was really cool to have those opportunities. And I think a lot of it came from them seeing my drive in life and being able to understand that I would give that same amount of effort to them. So you did all this work with a bunch of companies and partners, and do you still do that now? Or you know, how, do, how do we get from that to you having another crash in 2019? Yeah, so it kind of all comes full circle, but um, I, was, I was working so much, um, I wanted an outlet. So I started riding bicycles again, and then I started riding little mini bikes again, like a, a, they call them mini moto bikes, but they're like CRF50s or CRF110s, but they're a small dirt bike. And so I kind of started getting the bug again, right? Like um, I could ride decent, but I had to pretty much hold on with just my arms. And then I would shift with either my hand or I had a button that I could shift the shifter with. And uh, it started getting pretty fun. And uh, so I decided, well, maybe this is something that I want to continue. So um, I had an advertising agency working with all those people at the time. And uh, I decided to uh, start working remotely and I moved back to Arizona. Moving back to Arizona gave me the opportunity uh, to be around a lot more of my friends that rode dirt bikes and stuff. So I got a dirt bike again. And uh, all the time riding bicycles still. Um, and when I got the dirt bike again, I got an invitation to do what was called Super X Adaptive at the X Games. And it was pretty cool because I had never thought I was going to ever race X Games. I thought, oh, I'm you know, broken. Uh, I won't be able to do that again. Um, but they had this really cool event. And uh, so when I got that invite, um, I practiced for about a year, got my body strong enough to be able to ride and last a, for a moto is what they call it. And uh, it was pretty cool. I had to, got to go to some cool places. I went up to uh, Flint, Michigan, and I got a gold medal in what's called the Extremity Games, where you compete with uh, different people that have dis different disabilities and stuff. I guess you would call it more like the Special Olympics for dirt bikes. Um, but the dudes still haul the mail. I mean, they are fast. And uh, so I got a gold medal there, and that qualified me to be at the X Games, and I was able to race the X Games and get some cool national TV coverage. But one of the, 
craziest parts about it was, I don't know why, but I was sleeping during the whole shot, the start of the race. And so I started out in eighth place. I had to pass a bunch of people and then I got up to second place. And while I was in second place, I made a small mistake and I was going around a corner and I uh, called, it's called high sided, but I kind of tipped the dirt bike up and it flipped me over the top side of it. And when I flipped over the top side of it, I put my arm out and I put my arm out and I broke my arm because it was really hard ground. When I broke my arm, um, I was so upset at myself and learning all the things that I had in the past, like broken bones and stuff. I said, you know what, this is not going to stop me. I'm going to keep going because I respect all these athletes and what we're doing so much. I'm going to finish the race. I was able to pass two other riders with one arm just holding my other arm on the handlebars. I went to the podium and I watched all my competitors because I was so jealous and so mad that I wasn't up there that I wanted to congratulate them and give back to them because I appreciated them for beating me. And I thought, if I'm ever going to come back to this place, I'm going to stand on the top of that podium. And congratulated them, went to Taco Bell, got some food, and then went to the hospital and got my arm fixed. <laughs> first things first, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but the crazy part about that was it kind of comes full circle like we were talking about. And I learned a lot about marketing that day because all my p partners got the best value that I could have ever given them because I was one of the only athletes that had ever made SportsCenter from the X Games because of what happened to me and my life story and then leading up to it and then falling down and uh, not giving up. So it was pretty cool for me to be able to see that, you know, don't ever quit. So where does that put you now then? So it puts me in wanting to kick everybody's butt is where it puts me. Um, so I started training again to do the X Games the following year. And uh, unfortunately during that training process, I fell down again and broke my back for a third time. So uh, I go to get my back fixed and uh, they do all this crazy procedures in my uh, vertebrae and stuff. And uh, the doctor has me sitting there when he's giving me my, uh, I don't know, information on what I'm doing now and how I should proceed forward and my mom and my sister are sitting there with me and he goes dude George like I don't think you should ride dirt bikes anymore if you keep getting hurt there's going to be a point where we're not going to fix you like you can't keep doing this and in my head my dumb naive head I said no I'm going to do this like I'm going to win that thing but then I turned to the side and I saw my mom and my sister and both of them were crying. So I thought to myself, dude, you gotta, you gotta readjust your perception. Like you gotta do something else. And that was the start to me riding uh, road bikes, pedal bikes, like Lance Armstrong kind of thing. And that was a start to me building a different life for myself. A start that I was really proud of. So now are you like, what's, because I know you've done some, some races involving regular bicycles. What's, what's, what, what's your, yeah. So it, again, the whole naive thing is like, it's just talking about it. it makes me feel like it's really part of my life, but I didn't even know like what those bikes were. Like I didn't know how to shift the gears or anything. And so I just said, okay, well, if I can ride a mountain bike, I can ride a road bike. And so I've got a road bike. Um, just a cheap one, like a thousand dollar one or whatever. And I started learning how to ride it. I had to use, uh, are they called clipless pedals? But the ones that you clip in where you have your feet attached to the pedals. And, uh, those helped me because those kept my feet from moving around. Cause I can't control the lower portion of my body very well. 
So I was able to start doing that and I was able to, you know, I'd go 10 miles and I went 20 miles and I remember going like my first like 25 mile ride. I was like, I didn't even know bicycles could go this far. Like it was so cool to me because it was a whole new world. And I started seeing like all of this perception open up in my head. Like you can actually go exploring while you're getting a workout. Like this is amazing. And so I started even doing more bicycle riding and they have some events in Southern Arizona called like the Tour de Mesa, the Tour de Scottsdale, and uh, a big one called the El Tour de Tucson. And so I thought, okay, cool. You know, I've ridden for about a year or so. I'll try to do a bicycle race. And I enrolled in a 45 mile or 40 mile hour or 40 mile event called El Tour de Tucson. And I was able to complete that. And so I was like blown away by what I was able to do. Because I'm this dude that was supposed to be in a wheelchair. But I just pedaled for 40 miles in a bike race. And I beat all these people that don't have anything wrong with them. Like, this is amazing. Um, so it was pretty cool to see that. And then along that journey, a lot of stuff happened. I was able to uh, create marketing partners. I got a sponsorship from a company called Supercuts. It's a national haircut chain and uh, create awareness and motivate some of their employees, talk to kids in schools, and really share my story a lot because it was meaningful to them to hear that somebody could overcome stuff like that. So in turn, it was really meaningful for me that people appreciated it, all the hard work and all the effort. But there's a lot of details that go along with that. I spent a lot of time pedaling on roads, public roads that are heavily trafficked. And it was very, very scary because every single time I grew up as a kid where there was no traffic, just in the dirt riding my bicycle. And now I'm riding in streets that have tons of traffic because I'm training to do all these things. So I always have it in the back of my head to think about what's going on behind me, to listen for cars, to understand like as much of your surrounding as possible because it's, it's a scary thing riding a bike in the streets. Um, but it kept going, and uh, I was able to put together some stuff with Supercuts that helped them. Um, we actually had a marketing campaign that was pretty cool. We did, at the time, they were charging $13 for a haircut. And I said, well, what if I complete the El Tour de Tucson, which is a 111-mile bicycle race, in under eight hours, you have to give haircuts for $8 for the next 30 days or 40 days or whatever it was. Well, I crushed it. I did it in like six hours and 30 minutes or something oh, like man. that. Um, not faster than the fast guys because they were like four hours or sub five hours. Um, but I was mid-pack as a disabled individual. And I was able to get everybody in the southern Arizona region haircuts for eight bucks instead of 13. So it was cool because it really benefited the company a lot because they got a lot of return customers. They got a lot of new customers. And it ended up making them a lot of money, which I understood as a good marketing campaign. So I was really proud of my business acumen and uh, understanding what I could do to help the community. Did I see that you were riding a Supercuts off-road like truck? Yeah. So that, um, that was my five-year goal. So the reason that I started doing the pedal bike stuff was because at the time I had a client that raced off-road trucks. And his name was Casey Curry. And uh, I thought they were super cool because it was like dirt bikes, but with a roll cage. So I couldn't get hurt. 
And so uh, my five-year goal was to start getting sponsors and to be able to pay for that type of off-road racing because it's very expensive. And uh, I really liked it. He let me drive his truck one time, and it was fantastic. So um, I asked Supercuts. Um, well, let me, let me backtrack real quick. After I completed that 111-mile bicycle race, I got invited to do the Ironman, which is a triathlon. And at the time, I didn't even know what a triathlon was. They had told me, you get an invite to do an Ironman. Most people don't ever get that. And I said, what is an Ironman? They said, it's a triathlon where you have to swim in the ocean, pedal your bicycle through mountains and long distance, and then you have to run another distance to the finish line. I said, well, that sounds cool, but I don't know how I'm going to run because I can't run. I could walk. I could barely walk. And so they showed me this like racing wheelchair and how to use it and do all this stuff. And I didn't know how to swim. The most I had swam before was in the pool drinking a beer at the Lazy River or something. Like I didn't know what swimming was. I still to this day don't know what it's called when you do the regular swimming when you. <laughs> but I learned how to do it. I can still swim good. I just don't know what it's called. Um, so I trained for two years to be able to do that. And I was able to knock out an Ironman. It's the one first and only triathlon that I've ever done. And uh, that was a really cool experience. In fact, when I crossed the finish line, I said, F this, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did it. That's huge. Yeah. And I was pretty proud of it because I didn't know what it was, right? And like talking to guys like you that are really physically active and stuff like that, it means a lot to me because I understand what it, what it really meant. And to get an invite to do that, I'm glad that I was able to execute on it. Um, so fast forward, um, I get to drive that uh, off-road truck from Casey Curry and uh, kind of got me addicted. And I was like, man, I got to be able to do this. This is, this is my heart. This is what I've been missing for so long since I quit the dirt bike racing stuff. So I had a couple of meetings with Supercuts, who were the sponsor with the bicycles. And I said, would you be interested in moving into this different genre of racing? And they said, sure, we'll support you in whatever you do because you do such a good job for us. I said, man, that's, that's huge. Like, this doesn't ever happen, especially in off-road. You don't bring in sponsors from outside. They call them non-endemic sponsors. Like, normal off-road sponsors are like tires or, right. in fact, seats and stuff like that where we're sitting today. But that doesn't happen when you bring a company like Supercuts in. So I was really excited about that. And uh, fast forward a little bit, they paid for my first uh, half of my first race car. I had saved up and paid for the other half. And I was able to start racing what's called side-by-sides, uh, little off-road buggies. And uh, man, it just kick-started that whole next chapter for me. I pivoted again and it was awesome to be able to start that. So are you still doing that now? Or what, like, what's your, where, where are you at now? Well, do you want to talk about the uh, the lead-in and get hurt, or do you want to talk about now and then go back? Well, whatever, whatever makes most sense to you. So after racing the side-by-side -side for a little while, it was pretty cool for me. Like, I was, like, stoked on it because it was like getting on a dirt bike but with four wheels. It was a lot of work, but um, I was able to, within a, it was about two-and-a-half, three-year period, um, get support from Yamaha, which is one of the major manufacturers of side-by-sides, dirt bikes, and stuff like that. And that was so cool for me, man, because getting support from a company like that just doesn't happen. And for me to be able to do it, especially not being an able-bodied person, you know, having the limitations that I do, um, 
it was it was so meaningful. Um, I did a bunch of great things like we were on the podium so many times and we won races and it was just fantastic like it was a great life and I still to this day live in the off-road culture um, but I switched gears because in 2019 uh, I had a really bad accident and that accident unfortunately caused me uh, I'm lucky that I'm sitting here today but it caused me to lose my life um, I was at the what's called UTV World Championships in Laughlin, Nevada, and I got hit by another car. Like, I still remember it vividly, but uh, again, I didn't get a good start, but I had moved up towards the front of the pack, and I was going to pass another driver, and right as I come to pass him, um, I bump into his tire because he hit the brakes or something, he or she. And I tipped it up on its side, and I almost saved it, but I just barely tipped it over and landed right on my side. And so um, I couldn't move. And so I had to get out of the car to be able to try to evaluate the situation and get off the track for safety. So I got out of the car, and I walked to the side of the track, and I waited for other drivers to pass by so the track was clear. And uh, I walked back down after the track was clear, and I tried to push the car back over, but it was too heavy, I couldn't do it. So I said, okay, my race is done. Unfortunately, I won't be able to finish, but I'll walk back to the side of the track and I'll wait for the rescue team to come get me and then I'll go, you know, uh, lick my wounds, so to speak. Um, as I was walking back to get off the side of the track, um, the track was clear, um, but there was a little bump and there was a car hidden behind that other bump. The c I was standing, my car was here, I was standing right here, walking off the side of the track and the bump was over here and this driver came over and he cleared me um, but somebody ran in the back of him and hit me and knocked me into my car and uh, if you're looking like in your driver's seat in your car you put your hand on the wind on the door when you have your window down in race cars they have window nets uh, I fell through that window net and uh, the door bar or where you would put your arm in your car has a big metal bar that uppercut me to the chin in between my neck brace and my helmet. I still had all my safety gear on and shattered my jaw, my skull, uh, all the bones that were in it. My eyes had become detached from my head. Just massive injuries. My collarbone, I broke a bunch of bunch of different stuff, um, bleeding from every orifice in your head and I mean even my ears have been cut off and put back on because everything was so messed up. But I just passed out there, I didn't, I didn't die at that point. So I, f I he pulled away and I fell on the ground unconscious. And when I fell on the ground unconscious, I think somebody ran me over or something happened that was like woke me up. But it woke me up enough to be able to just understand how much pain I was in. And I felt on my, because I couldn't feel anything because it was all paralyzed and messed up. But I felt on my uh, chest that there was like liquid. And all of the broken bones and things that I've had in the past dirt bike racing educated me enough to know that if you break your ankle, you take your boot off as quickly as possible because it'll swell and you can't get it off.
So I thought to myself, like, this is bad. I got to check and see what this this is. And I tasted the fluid that was that was there. And it was blood. I said, I can't see anything. I can't hear anything. But I know it's really bad. If I don't take off my helmet right now, there's a good chance that my head will implode on itself and I'll die in this helmet. So I took off my helmet and I felt around with my hands and I felt my car. And I felt the bottom of my car, so I kind of like pushed myself in the dirt and leaned up against, just sitting up against the back of my car so that no other drivers would hit me. There was probably 300 or so drivers on course. Only one guy stopped to help me. And his name is Brett Carpenter. He's still a friend of mine to this day. I will love that guy for doing that. But he helped to stop me, and he had a very significant impact on helping save me. And uh, the medical crew came, and then they took me to the hospital and level one trauma center in Las Vegas, since it happened in Laughlin. Uh, and all kinds of different details happened there, but the main thing that everybody should know is that your life is not always secure. You don't know when it's going to be taken away. And one day in the hospital there, this is still so weird for me to talk about. I was just laying in the bed. And the guy, like I kept asking the nurse, I'm like, dude, I'm hurting so bad. Can you just give me some more pain medicine? Because they hadn't patched me up. Like I was still broken. And they had me sitting there for about a week, still broken because there's what's a thing in your body called spinal fluid and they can't do surgery until your spinal fluid stops leaking because it'll kill you. So they had to wait for that. And I kept asking her, I'm like, please just give me some more pain medicine. She kept saying, no, no, no. She was just the worst nurse you could ever have. And then all of a sudden I was just sitting there and I go, wow, I feel great. Did she, maybe she gave me some medicine, but she never was there. So I was like, this is confusing. Why do I feel so good? And I started thinking to myself, like, wow, this is awesome, man. Like, I haven't felt this liberated and free since 1998. Since I was like, because I'm so broken now, but now I don't feel any pain. And then I started, like, seeing these weird things. Like, I was, like, looking at myself. And I was like, he looks so peaceful. Like, that guy looks awesome. He looks happy. He lo doesn't look like he's in any pain. Like... He just looks like he's really, really good. And I don't know how long this, this whole process took. And I still don't know how to explain it. But it was the most like euphoric, freeing feeling that I've ever felt in my life. I feel weird about talking about it sometimes because I feel like people won't believe me. But And then all of a sudden I just hear some dude yelling, he's back, he's back, he's back. And I woke up like, I'm still like my heart's beating kind of fast right now, but I looked over to my right and he was knocking on the, the heart, heart monitor, I think it's called. And then the mean nurse walks back in and she runs back in and she goes, what? 
where did he, like, what's happening? And she goes, he's back. What do you want me to do? Like, do I call this in? Do I get the doctors? And she goes, no, if the thing's working and he's back, he's fine. Like, that was it. And so, like, I didn't know any different. Like, I still woke up and I was in a bunch of pain again. And, like, it was wild. And I don't, I don't, I, I still, I don't know how to, to quantify it, but it's a game life changer. So once all that stuff happens, they bolt me back together. I get all these plates and screws and all this stuff and they repair my face. And still to this day, I can't see out of this eye. The whole side of my face is, is paralyzed, but I'm very lucky to be sitting here and having this opportunity to talk with you, Ben. But it forever changed me because I understood from that point on, when you race, you're a selfish person. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. You have to be selfish to be a, a winner. If you want to get to the top of the podium, you have to take what it, or get, give what it has to be to take from other people and all kinds of different things to be able to win. But from that point forward, I understood that I'm gonna give to everybody else so that they can win. Because I just got an opportunity to not win a race, but to win at life. So now fast forward. Fortunately, I can still ride bicycles and I do as frequently as possible. And I get to educate other people and I get to talk about off-road, the sport that gave me so much, took away and gave back to me. Because we have this little podcast called The Dirt Life. And we get to interview people very similar to what you're doing today here with me. And we get to share their stories because people have amazing stories about life, about their journey, about what they're gonna do kids, older people, everything. It's so cool to see. So now it's my piece and my time to give back. Um, I can't believe uh, all of that and you're here being chipper and uh, you know having such a great attitude. Well, I appreciate that for sure. You said at the beginning of the interview, it's mental strength, right? Well, Life teaches you a lot about mental strength. Not that I want anybody to be in the same situation I am, but I would love it if other people could see some of the things that I've seen so that they could have that same mental strength. Absolutely. So it's kind of hard to pivot to um, distracted driving and that side of things, but I think you have a really interesting perspective on life and really can appreciate the value of every moment that we have here living. Um, so I'd, I'd be curious to hear um, what, what your relationship is to dis any sort of distractions in the car now, having gone through what, what you've gone through, and what you'd say to people who are guilty of driving distracted to help them understand the you know, the gravity of, of, of what, they, what they're doing? Well, I think it's going to be, it's, it's always difficult to make people understand the magnitude of what can happen when you have, are a distracted driver or what you could do if you're distracted while driving. Uh, 
Um, a lot of people take advantage of just being able to turn a steering wheel and you know get on their cell phone or whatever, but that's it's horrible. Um, if I've learned anything in my life, I've learned how badly I want to keep it and how badly I want to live. If somebody else was to take my life from me, I would be very upset because I'm accountable for my own actions. I don't want to have to be accountable for their actions. My suggestion is always never to be a distracted driver. Just focus on what you're focused on at the time, driving, getting to your destination, and then, you know, interact with whatever you have to do. We see it all the time, man. Distracted driving is just horrible. People getting injured all the time, killed. And I don't ever want to see that. If my story can help, you know, bring any awareness to how much life means and how much people should appreciate it, whether they're on the road on a bicycle or whether they're behind the wheel of a car, I think both of them should be very, very conscious of their surroundings and be able to pay attention so that they can make sure that everybody enjoys the road together. Do you use the, um, the feature on your phone that silences notifications while you're driving? Or are you aware of it? Um, I don't. I just put it in a little cubby in the... I drive a, a van now, but um, I just put it in a little cubby and it just stays there. Cool. Would you be, are, are you open to turning it on just for like the experience of? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's, um, do you know how to get to it? I don't. It's in your settings on your phone. Okay. And then you go down to uh, focus. Uh, it's up, up a bit. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to, you, you can just look at there it. There you go. Uh, focus and then um, if you hit the little plus button in the upper right yep then there should be one called driving got it customize focus yeah and it says people allow replies all that yeah so if you wanted to let certain people's notifications oh it's just turned on now well it'll um, there should be a thing to to have it turn on automatically yep that's what it says while driving yeah Cool. And then um, there's a there's an auto reply thing too, so it can text text people if they text you while you're yeah all contacts driving. Then yep. then they get a text saying that you're driving. You'll yeah. perfect. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I didn't even know that existed. So now I can tell people about it too. Yeah, I think a lot. It's like they could do a lot better job of making it known <coughs> to people that it exists. You know, because so many people don't know it's a thing. Yeah, totally. Um, thank you for doing that. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I, um, yeah. I'm curious also to hear what, what your experience is with social media, um, and just like the, the amount of time that we as a society use on, the various social media apps, you know, having your experience and knowing how precious each moment, is. Yeah. So, I guess that's a long form question, right? But. Yes. <laughs> social media. Social media takes us down crazy roads, right? Because we always think it's so important. Um, I don't think people should be on their phones at all, whether it's social media or text or whatever it is, while driving. You see so many people get distracted and so many accidents happen nowadays because of it. Um, but I do think that there is safer ways to go about it. Like, let's just say a person like me, social media is a very 
crucial piece of my business because I have to be communicating with people all the time. Um, personally, I don't like social media. I would, if I didn't have to have it, I wouldn't. But since I do, if I need to communicate with people and have an engaging conversation, I just pull over. I go to a parking lot that is somewhat empty so that nobody bothers and then I just take care of all the things. And if I'm in a hurry, I just gotta wait. It's just not worth it. How about when you're when you're off the road? Because social media is a, uh, an important part of promoting yourself and your business and all the good things that you're doing. How do you balance, you know, the the productive side of it versus you know getting swept up in the 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 nonsense side of it? Yeah. So to be pretty honest with you, I don't I don't even bother with the nonsense stuff. Like I don't even. I really don't even use it very much for, uh, what do you want to call it, personal communication. I use it because I post things that I like, things that I'm into, but I don't do it as a, uh, like I'm showing off, right? Like if I was going to bring you a sticker, I'd bring you a sticker. If I was going to send you a message, I'd send you a message, just like I would in real life. So uh, I don't really get caught up in it that per se. Um, I like to use it for the business transactions mostly. Um, any any advice to offer to, to young people, especially who maybe are, are more swept up in, in the the noise of, of social media and what yeah, any any guidance or suggestions? My first guidance would be to I don't know, I guess this is because of the way that I live my life. My first guidance would be to any youngster that is on social media a lot is to Go outside and have some fun. Like go learn how to do some things with your friends. Like have normal human interaction um, because I think that's much more beneficial. It makes you a happier person. Um, in my personal opinion, I think a lot of the things on social media that people post aren't true or are fake. And if you see a lot of that stuff and you're younger, you might not be able to see through it. You might see and believe that when it's not necessarily true. Maybe it's a half truth but it's still not necessarily the real truth, right? So if you have an ability to have an open conversation with somebody, it's much more effective because then you can understand, you can have the feeling, you can have the interaction. So if I had a, a perfect world around me, I would see a lot of kids just interacting with other kids and just having a normal outside conversation or a normal outside upbringing. How about for, um, for people who are young you know you had a lot of um a lot of challenges in your life um and persevered through them and are able to continue pushing forward and and doing things that you love despite all the setbacks what would you what would you say to to a young person who's maybe interested in chasing a dream or you know jumping into a career that maybe doesn't seem possible or um, maybe financially doable and they feel pressure to go do something else that's maybe more boring but you know like more sustainable financially like what, what would you say to them I think the money part is what confuses people most but I would say to anybody that's going into something that they might need to um, think outside the box um, a quote that I live by is if the eyes of perception were clear everybody would see the world as it actually is, which is infinite. 
that's very meaningful to me because it shows me that no matter how closed-minded I get, I'm wrong. Because the world is not closed-minded. You can do anything as long as you put your mind to it and you never give up. So if it were me, I would tell them to go, try to achieve their goals, do whatever it takes, make the right decisions, and be accountable for those decisions. And, you know, having gone through what you've gone through, what, when, when are you happiest now? Like, what, what, what's, what's the situation where, you're, where, you, where you find joy? It's funny that you asked me a question, that question. When I'm happiest now is when I'm riding my bicycle. That's when I get the most freedom because it's the most liberating. I'm not stuck behind a computer, not stuck behind a phone, not necessarily working. And I can just focus on enjoying the things around me. Do you still ride on roads? Absolutely. What, um, you know, what, knowing all of the risks associated with being on the road, like I ride on the road too. Yep. But what, what, is it the joy that it brings you that kind of overrides the, the risks of distracted drivers and the, the various other risks that riding poses? Or? Yeah, 100%. Just riding my bicycle is just one of the most liberating things on the planet. So especially in my situation and with the, the body that I have these days, it gives me the opportunity to experience something that I wasn't supposed to ever be able to experience. So I love being on my bicycle. Does it still scare the crap out of me? Yes, 100%. Especially in Arizona, we had great roads, big old bike lanes, all that stuff. Here, you don't. You ride on the road. You can't, sometimes you can't even ride on the other side of the white line. But I still like doing it so much that I want to make sure that I just enjoy my life as much as possible. That's why I appreciate you giving me this opportunity to talk about drivers paying attention and not being distracted. What do you think is going to kind of tip the needle in the direction of roads becoming safer with distracted drivers? Education. Uh, the roads will never be safer unless you educate people. And I think you're doing a great job doing that, Ben. Yeah, well, thanks, George. It's uh, Getting to chat with people like you is super helpful because your voice will carry a lot further than me just talking about my experience. Um, so I, yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it too. And I, I want to definitely be able to share this content with other like-minded individuals. We, we both know hundreds and hundreds of people that ride bicycles, and I would like to be able to show them as well. Yeah, well, uh, I'll definitely keep you posted. Any cool. closing thoughts, George? No, man, you did a fantastic job. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. I know it's, it can't be easy. I know you've said it, you've done it a bunch, but... Yeah, sometimes it just gets me. <laughs> yeah, I I believe it. Jeez, oh man. Well, I think that I think that does it. Thank yeah. you so much. Cool, man. Cool. No, no problemo. Well, well, well. Here we are. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with George Hamill. Pretty wild story, huh? I just can't believe how positive he is. How driven he is to make a positive impact on the world after all of the hardships that he's encountered. You don't see too many people with that strong of a positive attitude these days. 
So I was really grateful to have met George and to have talked to him and to heard to have heard his story. And every day he is working to make the world a better place, much like I am striving to do so with eyes up. If you don't have the feature turned on already, please turn on driving focus on your phone. It's a feature that is so simple, such a no-brainer, and will definitely make your life safer and hopefully help save lives of other people. What it does is turns off the notifications from your phone while you're driving. Your phone is smart and can detect when you're driving and turns off those notifications so you don't even have your phone screen light up and tempt you to take your eyes off the road. Great feature, helps spread the message of how important it is to focus on driving and not focus on your phone and is a great step in the right direction. If you don't know how to do it, check out eyesupride.com slash resources, and that will help guide you in the right direction. If you have questions, feel free to reach out. In the meantime, please subscribe to the Eyes Up Life podcast. Follow Eyes Up Ride on Instagram. Make sure you watch the video that I recorded with George that was just released a couple days ago. Subscribe to Max's Tires so you don't miss the final three episodes of this series. They're ones that you surely don't want to miss, and I look forward to talking to you in two short weeks. Who's on deck, you might ask? Well, Kate Courtney is on deck. That's the answer. Kate Courtney is a professional mountain biker, and you'll hear more about her in two weeks, okay? Just be patient. It's no big deal. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.